The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. Well, Merry Christmas. Isn't it wonderful to know the King of Glory has come? As the song says, let every heart prepare him room. And uh, we want to make much of Christ at Christmas, every Lord's Day, but today is extra special. I just want to thank all of those who have served to make this an extra special day, including little ones, people up front, but behind the scenes. Uh, And there is no better place to be than in God's house and in God's word. And so I want you to join me in Matthew chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we have some uh, pew Bibles. uh, should be on the seat in front of you. I think it's page 522. But the, the kids have been singing it. It's, it's on the wall behind me. It's the word Emmanuel. It's, it's really the gospel in a word. There, there's different words that can sum up the gospel, but this is one of them. God with us is what Emmanuel means. We just sang that actually. God with us. The promise has come to be. This is the one the prophets were longing to see. So last week we looked at Luke's Christmas story. Today we're going to look at Matthew's account, and this is the key verse, Matthew 1, 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord spoke by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's quoting from Isaiah 7, verse 14. And the next chapter of Isaiah would go on to say this Emmanuel would be unstoppable. There would be nothing, no opposition, no plan that could prevail against him. This is what it says. Wings will cover the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. And then it says to the, to the world, listen, all you distant lands, pro- propose your plan, but it will not stand for God is with us. And then a few verses later in chapter 9, the people are in deep darkness until this light from Galilee. And then it says, to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And one of his names is Mighty God. It is the Mighty God who is with us, who would be born of a virgin, who would be the child, the son, who would be given. And then after that, Isaiah adds in chapter 11, Gentiles shall seek him. And his resting place shall be glorious. And then it says, The Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and Egypt. And it goes on to say, The Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt. This is a prophecy of the future. With his mighty wind, he will shake his fist over the river and will make men cross over dry shod. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people, just as it was for Israel in the day that he came up from the land of Egypt. And so in, in the future, Isaiah has these prophecies, and some of them relate to Christ's first coming and, and second coming. But we see in his first coming in Matthew 2, Gentiles... Seek him. We're going to see that in in Matthew 2 today. Wise men of other nations. Maybe they were from Assyria or other places. It doesn't say. 
but they inquire of him. They inquire of his resting place. And Isaiah's prophecies of of Messiah there, did you notice the language? It's describing a second exodus. He says, for a second time I will bring my people and I will bring them from Egypt. And he even talks about the the sea being divided so they can come on, on dry land again. And certainly some of Isaiah's prophecies have symbolism. Some of his prophecies are a vision of the second advent in the end times, but we need to understand the first advent, what we call Christmas, is a preview and it is a part of those kingdom prophecies. And I've loved studying the book of Exodus. If you're a visitor here today, we've been going through the book of Exodus and I can't even get away from Exodus uh, on Christmas, but I, I love seeing how Exodus connects with Christ. And I, I really loved last week looking at how the book of Exodus connects with the Christmas story of Christ in Luke 1 through 2. And there's even more in Matthew 1 and 2 that we're going to see today. Because remember, back in the Exodus story, God comes to Moses and he promises him, I will be with you. And now, Matthew 1 23, we read that this Jesus, this Emmanuel, has come and he is, his name means what God with us. He is the God who is with us. God promised to be with his people. Jesus actually comes in a physical form and is with God's people. And remember, there were prophecies of Messiah or Christ. I mentioned this last week. Some, some 400 plus silent years there had been. But also in, in Genesis, there had been promises of the Messiah. Genesis 3, Genesis 49 different places, there were promises of the Messiah to come, a a seed of a woman who would defeat the serpent, someone who would be a ruler, a lion from the tribe of Judah, that's Genesis 49, but then there's been 400 plus silent years waiting for those prophecies to be fulfilled, God's not speaking in those years, his people are suffering and they're wondering, but then finally an angel of the Lord comes and and it appears to a shepherd who is keeping watch over his flocks in a field, his name is Moses, He's in Midian keeping watch as a shepherd over his flocks. And the angel comes to him of the Lord and promises to him at the burning bush, I will be with you and this will be the sign. It's the same phrase the angel of the Lord would use in Bethlehem so many years and centuries later to to shepherds in a field keeping watch over their flocks. And, and at the end of the Old Testament, Micah promised that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. That's, that's one of the prophecies that Matthew quotes in these opening chapters. He would be born in Bethlehem, this ruler from ancient days. But, but it's been, that's the last book of the Old Testament. It's been 400-some silent years where God is not speaking. The prophets are not still giving prophecies. They're waiting. When will this prophecy be fulfilled? When will this Messiah come? The seed of the woman, this ruler from the tribe of Judah. When will he come, this Emmanuel? And the angel of the Lord now comes again to these shepherds in the field. And he tells them that salvation has come. This day is born to you a Savior. And they say these words, this shall be the sign. Same words. You shall find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And so in all these things, God's burning bush promise that began to his people, I will be with you now, is coming the, the hopes and fears of all those years. They're all coming together in Christ, who is God with us. In the greatest way that God has ever been with people in Christ, in Emmanuel. And so the theme of Matthew 1 through 2 and what the gospel says is that God is 
with us. And we're going to see it in three areas, in history and in families, in Exodus and after Christmas, and we'll see some application for us. But first, we see it in history and in families in Matthew chapter 1, in the families of Mary and Joseph. And I mentioned last time there's some similarities with, with these stories of Moses and, and Jesus. Moses, remember, was also a baby found in an unusual wooden box that you wouldn't expect to be a bed for a baby. His happened to be floating. But in both cases, there's a young girl named Mary, or Miriam is how the Hebrews pronounced it. He, uh, Miriam is the, what the Jews growing up with Mary would have called her in their language, Miriam. But Mary is the... The, the spelling that would be used in Greek or in English, but Miriam is named, uh, or Mary in the New Testament is named after this same Mary, Miriam, this, this Hebrew teenager who was a very significant figure in their history. She was living in the land of Egypt, Miriam was, before the Exodus, and so was her husband. So the New Testament Joseph, who Mary's betrothed to at the start of the story, he also was undoubtedly named by his Jewish parents after the Joseph of Genesis. And if you don't know that story in Genesis, the Old Testament, Joseph, with his brothers, who he had the multicolor robe, remember all of that, they didn't like him very much. They sold him as a slave, and he went down to Egypt, and he lived in Egypt as a slave, but God, working what they intended for evil together for good, God had a plan to save his people out of there through This Joseph, he would have a significant role in the deliverance of God's people. And so Joseph was in Egypt. He rises to power. He brings his family there. There was this massive famine that would have wiped them out. They would have died of starvation. But God appointed him, gave him wisdom to prepare for that. And then he brings his family into Egypt. That's how Genesis ends, and that's how the book of Exodus begins that we'll be looking at next week, and you can come back for the rest of that story in Exodus. But here, let me just read from Exodus 1-5. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and it goes on to say there, later arose a new king of Egypt who did not know Joseph and, and wasn't favorable to his family. And so that's when the oppression and the slavery began. But this Old Testament Joseph, who was the son of Jacob, the, the father of Israel, he was a Jewish hero of the faith. And, and centuries later, people were naming their sons, Jews were naming their sons after him, like this family. Look at Matthew 1, verse 15. Eliud was the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob. Notice the name Jacob was the father of Joseph the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. And so we see this family, they have a a son that they named Jacob, and then he names his son Joseph, just like the family in Exodus 1. And there's another family in this little village that they grew up in who named their daughter Miriam, or Mary, from the same story. And it's interesting in God's providence how the parents of Jesus are named after those who went into Egypt and out of Egypt. And Matthew's going to draw attention to that in a little bit. But the Old Testament Joseph generation went into Egypt. And then the Old Testament Mary, Miriam generation, Miriam and Moses, they were delivered out of Egypt. And, and Matthew, as he gives these names, he doesn't list every generation 
But the ones he gives are to highlight specific things, and some of these are names from Exodus. Matthew 1 through 2 is showing us that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament promises and images as Emmanuel. And here's one of those things that's important to Matthew. In the law, when, and this is something we don't often think about, in fact, one of my daughters asked me this week if, if Joseph's bloodline was the line of David, which is what Matthew 1 is recording, then then how could Jesus be the descendant of David and have his blood if he wasn't biologically related to Joseph? And one part of the answer is that he was, he did have that bloodline through Mary. She was also a descendant of David, but it's, it's very important. Matthew begins highlighting that Joseph, who was the husband of Mary and therefore the, became the father of this child, he is a descendant of David. In fact, the angel comes and says, Joseph, son of David. And he, he tells him more than once, son of David, this is something you need to do as a son of David. And so this is key. This is the legal ancestry of Jesus, the rightful Messiah, king of the Jews. Joseph's line is a royal line, the Judah's line and David's house. And an adopted son could rule. In fact, their world knew this well because Caesar Augustus, the one who made the decree for them to come and be registered, he was not the biological son of the Caesar, the emperor before him. In fact, four of the emperors at the, the height of the world power of Rome were, who became emperors were not biological sons. They were adopted sons. So everyone in that world knew that an adopted son had all the rights through the father's legal line to rule. About 10 years ago, I wrote a poem, Joseph, Did You Know? And this is part of it. Joseph, did you know that your little boy you taught to tie his shoes, that that son that you adopted would die to adopt you? I mean, he's, he's taking care of this family, this wife, this little son, but this son is actually going to be the one who's going to adopt him and all believers into God's family in the future. But God is with us in history and families. It's just marvelous to think God has been, he's had this plan in place through all of history and all these connections. It's just marvelous to see God is a God of, of details and he brings all these things together. But, but secondly, also Emmanuel, God with us. Our second point is in the Exodus and after Christmas. I might need you guys' help to advance it. But the second point is in the Exodus and after Christmas. Look at Matthew 2 verse 13. It says, when they, these are the magi, had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Let me read that again. All of this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. And that prophet was speaking of the Exodus. But Jesus is fulfilling that. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So all the little babies in Bethlehem and in the area around there just to cover his bases. Herod, in that night, 
has them slaughtered. And this is part of the Christmas story. We sang on Friday night here, Oh, bless all the children who wake in the night, who rise in confusion and cry out in fright, who run now from Herod or fall to his sword. Oh, bless them, dear Jesus. Bring peace to our world. Our world still needs peace. There are horrible things happening all around the world and not that far from us. But this is as much a part of the story of little Jesus as the wise men. But there's very few songs that talk about this part, going to Egypt. There's no, I've never seen any ceramic statues of the family fleeing to Egypt. And certainly you can understand why people wouldn't want to portray babies being killed. That certainly doesn't sell well. But... Many of us are wearing red today. We need to remember Bethlehem was running red with the blood of children that night, the littlest of children. There was no walking in a winter wonderland. We have all these songs we sing right now. They they were running in a war zone for their lives. There was no singing that evening. Verse 18 says, There was weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children. And this is Matthew's again making a connection to that Old Testament Jacob and Joseph family. Rachel was the wife of Jacob who gave birth to Joseph. Their family was a mess. There were other children involved, but she gave birth to Joseph. She died in Bethlehem before the family moved to Egypt. But here she is symbolizing Bethlehem moms mourning, mourning the loss of their precious ones. And so the, the Christmas story of Matthew speaks to that as well. And it speaks to those, and I know there's some here who are mourning the loss of loved ones. Many here, even this year or past years, there's still some pain there this time of year. And the Christmas story has a word there for you as well. It's, you don't hear it on the songs that are out on, on the radio, but if you have grief, if you have fear for the future, maybe you're just uncertain what does the future look like for you and your life situation, just know it was incredibly uncertain for Mary and Joseph after the Magi left. They're not home for the holidays. They are homeless. They're refugees. Really, they could relate more to many of the refugees around the world in war-torn countries who have had to flee and try to find asylum somewhere else. That's what they're doing, going down to Egypt. The first Christmas, they were in a barn or a cave. There was no room for them in the inn, and they've got no place to stay. They've got to just find and hope that there's favor as they go to Egypt, that they can find some place to live and something to do for however long it will be while Herod is Alive, And this is where the name Emmanuel also speaks to some of you who are going through very difficult things, maybe with your children or a parent or a family member. Maybe there's, there's difficulty even that you're anticipating this week, this day, because of some of those situations. We need to remember, and the, the, the message that Matthew is giving through this is that God is with us in those things as well. God is with us. As we weep, God is with us as we 
wait. God is with us as we wonder if, we're, if we'll make it, as we wonder what the next year will, will look like. God is with us. The God of Exodus and Christmas is with us, and he will help us, but he also calls us to help each other. And that's one of the reasons church is so important, that we can continue to help each other in whatever this next year holds. And so when you picture all these Christmas images, when you picture the Magi worshiping little Jesus and leaving, don't, don't picture a cozy scene with reindeer and like, it's like a Disney movie. It's, it's not like that at all. It's more like a horror movie. This is something I don't, I don't even think an R-rated movie would show babies being slaughtered, but that's what Matthew shows us. Not, not graphically, but shows us. That's what was happening after the Magi left. So don't forget the discomfort. Don't forget the danger that little Jesus was in as they, li- as they left and as they lived in northeast Africa, which would have been a very pagan land. Even coming into the land, I'm sure there's a, a painting that shows them just looking at all of the idolatry and all of the everything that was going on there, and they must have felt incredibly out of place. But this is part of the story of little Jesus. And we don't know how long he was in lower Egypt. I think it was less than two years based on verse 20 and, and the date that scholars date Herod's death. But, but from the start... We see that Jesus is a savior for the world. Even Matthew writing maybe to a more Jewish audience is showing he's a savior for the world. His genealogy shows Gentiles in there. And then he shows Gentiles coming to worship him. And then Jesus as a little one going to a Gentile land. He's the savior for the world, for Africa, for Arabia, for Assyria, for America. That is our Lord. And Matthew's gospel is going to end. So the beginning and end has this note. Make disciples of what? All nations. And then at the end of that, Jesus says, And lo, I am what? With you always. So at the beginning and the end, it's for the nations, but also this God with us, this Emmanuel, Jesus, who's going to heaven and going to be there till the end of the age. He is promising them, I am with you always, even to the end. And so this Emmanuel is not just about him being here physically. From here on out, he is with his people in a special way like never before. But look at Matthew 2, verse 19. When Herod died... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. So he's going into Israel now, out of Egypt, and that's almost word for word from Exodus 4, from the Exodus story. The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses and said, Those who sought your life are dead. And he told him, Go now to Israel. And it says, Moses took his wife and children on a donkey. Moses did. And so again, I asked, Joseph, did you know when you fled to Egypt, that baby from the manger is the Lord who rescued Israel, that you're rescuing from danger? I mean, it's it's unfathomable to think about what's going on here. But this is the Lord who rescued Israel out of Egypt, now coming out of Egypt through this deliverer. 
on a human level, but he would be the deliverer on the spiritual level. Matthew 2.15 says, all of this that's happening is to fulfill what the Old Testament said about God calling his son out of Egypt. That's Exodus 4 language also. Moses goes to Pharaoh, says, Israel is my son. Let my son go. So Israel is God's son. But Jesus is the ultimate son of God, isn't he? He is the true Israel. He is calling them out of Egypt. He's, he's being faithful where Israel wasn't. And Matthew wants us to see there's a true and new exodus in Emmanuel for believing Israel and Gentiles. So out of Egypt I called my son isn't a, a prophecy, if you look at the original in, in Hosea, but it's a picture, it's a pattern that Jesus fulfills, or I heard one person say he fills full the, the language that's there. And I think the context of Hosea around that also points to what's happening here in the New Covenant. But in the Christmas Exodus, the New Testament Joseph is like the Old Testament Joseph, and Messiah is like Moses. Moses also had to flee for his life in Exodus 2. In fact, it's the same terms in the Greek Old Testament, which was translated in Egypt, in Alexandria, which is one of the places maybe they went. It uses the same language that Matthew is using here. Matthew 2.14 says, Joseph fled quickly at night. We're going to read next week from the Exodus story how they had to be in haste. They had to flee quickly in the middle of the night in the last plague, Exodus 12. We talked last time about how baby Moses was also rescued when the king was tricked and was angry and was killing baby boys. Pharaoh was killing baby boys as well. Both Jesus and Moses are adopted. Both of them are are raised without a biological dad. Both of them were delivered when they were little and would deliver God's people when they are we're older. And so God is with us in all these things in Exodus and Christmas, and then thirdly and finally in Christ's purpose and our worship. And this is also what the kings, the, the kids sang earlier the song of Emmanuel, God with us. And he's with us in worship in a special way. Christ's purpose in Christmas and the second Exodus was to let his people go from sin and where they were and slavery to worship. And so the kids sang, Born to set thy people free from our fears and sins. Release us. Let us find our rest in thee. That's how that freedom comes. It's not being free to do your own thing. It's, it's being free from our sins and our fears so that we can rest completely and fully trusting in the Lord Jesus. John 1.16 says, The law was given through Moses... Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's John 1.16. And in the wilderness, Jesus, in Matthew's gospel, is going to quote from Moses four times. When, when the serpent comes and tempts him in the wilderness, he's going to quote, it is written, but all three it is written are from the writings of Moses. He, he quotes from Moses to defeat temptation so that his people can defeat temptation too. Jesus defeats the serpent in the wilderness, Satan. And he taught also in John 3 that like Moses and the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. That's right before John three sixteen. God so loved the world, he gave his Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting 
life. Right before that, it, it compares this Moses and the serpent in the wilderness to how Jesus needed to be lifted up. And so we see in so many ways, and the purpose of Christ in Matthew 2 was to go through what Moses and Israel went through. Into Egypt, out of Egypt, back into the promised land. He's fulfilling all of the imagery or what scholars call typology because Israel would, be faith, uh, would, would fail and would be faithless often after this, but Jesus is faithful where they failed. He never failed. And he would identify with Israel and, and all of those who would believe from around the world. But even as Israel is going to be hungry in the desert, Jesus is going to be hungry in the desert in his temptation. This is in Matthew 4. They were tempted, so was he, but he was victorious so that everyone who believes in him can join him in that victory. And, and Moses also would give the law on a mount. In Matthew 5, Jesus would give the Sermon on the Mount, interpreting and applying and showing the fullness of God's law. You have heard it said, but I say to you, that's Matthew chapter 5. And so Matthew 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 is showing us that Jesus is the greater lawgiver. He's the greater emancipator. He's the greater liberator from slavery, from sin, and Satan. It's just amazing to me how this is all one story, and there's one Savior. But as we think about all the things that God has done to bring salvation about, we need to think about where we are in our lives in relation to this Savior. Do you know this Savior in a personal saving way? This one who is greater than Moses, who frees us from slavery to sin for all who repent and trust in him. One of the marks of a true believer when their heart has been change there is they want to worship the Lord with his people and they want to be with him regularly and and worship just like these men who came from afar it was great sacrifice it took great effort for them to come to worship that's what I want to look at as we in this last part here looking at these magi who came from afar to worship last week we saw in Exodus 10 the thick darkness covered Egypt's land and people this is the second to last plague before they went out This is what Isaiah 60 says, Darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but his glory will be seen upon you. And nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall bring good news, the the praises of the Lord. One of the translations says, they will come worshiping. That's what these men say in Matthew 2. And it also, in that chapter in Isaiah, it talks about camels and wealth of nations brought to the light. We have Matthew 2, if you look at it, it begins with these magi who see this star rising in the east, and they've come to worship. And, and what are they bringing? They're bringing gold and frankincense and myrrh. And it's, it had been a dark time, but the glory of the Lord was, is now shining. It first came to some shepherds in a field far away in, in Bethlehem in those dark fields by night, and they heard, we bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all the people, not just for you here in Bethlehem or in Israel, this is for all the people, and, and maybe that same night that light appears far away in another land, and they begin to follow this light, these Gentiles from the east. But notice also in Matthew 2, 4 through 6, there were some Jewish religious leaders who Herod consults with They knew the prophecy. They knew that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. But we don't read anything about them coming to worship. 
which is a sobering reminder that religion and right answers don't save. Some of you can point to religious things you do, or you even know the right answers to the questions, but, but are you coming to worship him is the test here. These Gentiles come to worship. We don't know if they were from ancient Asia or Arabia or Assyria. They're probably not technically kings, but they may have been nobles, magi, rulers. But it's interesting. Where do we first read of wise men in the Bible? Anyone want to take a guess? It's a book we've been studying. Exodus. Exodus 7:11. When Moses comes, Pharaoh calls for the wise men. And there were magicians and sorcerers and all of that. But wise men seem to be a little bit different. Babylon had wise men. And it is possible that there were some scrolls of the Torah, of the writings of Moses, left behind in Babylon. Daniel was over all of the wise men of Babylon, it says in Daniel chapter 2. And I, I like to think that maybe... He left behind some of the scrolls so that maybe those after him, the wise men, would, would read of these prophecies. Where would they get this idea that a star would lead them to a king? They get it from the writings of Moses. This is what he, one of the prophecies Moses records. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel, out of Jacob, one shall have dominion or shall be a ruler. It doesn't specify in Bethlehem. That's why they come. They see the star. They come to, to the land of Jacob, the land of Israel. But they're asking, where is this one who's been born? That's Balaam's oracle in the third book of Moses. And it's interesting also, in, in Exodus, God used a, a burning a fire in the sky, remember, to, to guide the Jews by night across the desert to where he wanted them to go on their journey to worship. Now God is again guiding Gentiles with some ball of fire and sky by night across the desert to show where he wanted them to go to worship the king of the Jews. Do you worship this king Jesus? Do you look to the light of of Christ and, and the light of his, of his word? Do you look to it for guidance? This is what the Christmas story calls us to. And, and this one that it prophesies is to have dominion. He's to have dominion over your heart and over your life to be a ruler. Is he your ruler? Is, is he the one you rejoice in? I love what Matthew 2, 9 says. After they talked with King Herod, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, and it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary. So notice it was a house. This wasn't the stable manger scene the shepherds, shepherds visited that first night. Sorry to burst your bubble. It's not too late to change your nativity sets if you go home today. You can move the wise men across the room, figure out where East is, and they can be on the way. If I come over to your place and they're not in place, I'll try not to be distracted, but it, it's just one of those things. Uh, the number three is based on the gifts, but what's most important isn't the number, it's not the nature of the star, or even the exact location of where they came from. It's the nature of their gifts. This is what I want to end with. Verse 11 ends, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
But turn to Exodus 30, and I want you to see even what the wise men did and gave is from Exodus. It's Exodus language that the Egyptians, we're going to see next time, they offered gifts to Israel as they left. In fact, it talks about them giving gold in particular from their jewelry after the last plague. We'll see that next week. But this was known in the to this day, the Valley of the Kings in Egypt, where King Tut's tomb most famously is found. But other gold was, was huge, and it was a marker of a king. And so this is very fitting when they say, we've come to worship the king. They're bringing gold, because from ancient times of Exodus and throughout Old Testament history, gold has been a gift fit for a king. But also, in God's providence, this gift was going to provide for this poor family... It probably depleted much of their resources just to get to Bethlehem. And this family is going to need to be traveling and living in another continent for some time, northeast corner of Africa there. And in God's providence, they get this gift, this gold that would provide for them. And, And so this is another area where I think this story should encourage us as we think to the future. God knows the future. God holds the future in his hand. God will provide for us what we need. These wise men didn't know this family was going to be homeless, refugees for months or more, but God did. And he set that in motion long before it happened, traveling across the desert with this gift of gold that would sustain them in that time. And I think of my first year in the States, I think it was my first year here. It was Christmas time. I was at the master's college, but I wasn't sure how I was going to be able to pay for the next semester. And my parents are in the Philippines. I'm, I'm far away from home, but God knew exactly what I needed. And from someone I still to this day don't know, um, gave an anonymous gift. It was deposited into my bank account, and it was what I needed to continue on the next semester. That's just a, a small picture, but you guys can tell stories of your own life, how God has provided your needs. And this is one of the things we should see from this story here. He knows and he will provide for his children. But did you know frankincense and myrrh comes out of Exodus? Look at Exodus 30, verse 34. The Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices, stacte and annika and galbanum, not sure if I'm pronouncing those right, but just I just read them confidently and quickly. Uh, sweet spices with pure frankincense of each there shall be an equal part, and make an incense blended. So frankincense is part of this incense blend. And the next verse says, this was to be put in the holy place where God's presence met Israel. This is the place where God came nigh, where God came near to his people, was in the tabernacle, and this incense was was where They would worship, pure frankincense was part of the offerings for worship in the next book of Moses, Leviticus chapter 2. This is what we sang earlier. Over the skies of Bethlehem appeared a star. Wise men seeking truth traveled from afar. Falling on their knees, they bow before the humble prince of peace. We bring an offering of worship to our king. No one on earth deserves the praises that we sing. So here's our application. Jesus, may you receive the honor that you're due. Oh, Lord, I bring an offering to you. You heard it from Sean Friday night. We're called to bring a, a, an offering of ourselves, our, our, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, to not be conformed to this world, be transformed by, 
by Him. And so do you seek to give Jesus the honor that He's due? Are you seeking to offer yourself? How are you offering yourself and serving Him and serving His kingdom? Do you trust Him? Do you treasure Him? If you don't, there's no greater message or takeaway from the story than to turn from whatever else you're putting your value in and to trust and to treasure Jesus like these men did. And if you need help with that, any of us you've seen up front or any of the brothers and sisters around you would love to talk with you about that. But this last part of myrrh, we end with verse 22. The Lord said to Moses, take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 300 or 500 shekels. Verse 25 says, you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil. And verse 29 would say, this holy oil was what would sanctify everything and everyone it touched. In fact, verse 32 says, it shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person. Well, in, this is no ordinary person in Bethlehem, is it? This is no ordinary person. And, and these, they know this because they come to worship him. They come to worship him. This is no ordinary child. This is the holy child, the one who sanctifies others, who he touches with grace. And verse 30 says, the myrrh also anointed in the oil, men who would serve as priests, those who would offer sacrifices. But whether they understood the fullness of this or not, Jesus is the ultimate anointed priest. He is the one who offered himself as a sacrifice in death. And in John's gospel at the end, when Jesus dies, two faithful Jews come and they bring myrrh, spices, about 75 to 100 pounds of of myrrh, and they anoint the body of Jesus. And so I, I want us to think of this in our closing song, Frankincense to offer have I. Incense owns a deity nigh. It means God is near. Myrrh is mine. Its bitter perfume breathes a life of gathering gloom, sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in the stone-cold tomb. But that's not the end. Glorious now, behold him, arise, King and God and sacrifice. So let's not forget, and even this points to it, he is coming to die, to die for sins, to rise, to, to give his life for those who would believe in him and to rise, and he is returning as well. So let's look forward to that day, amen? Amen, and let's seek to share that message with others. Let's pray. Our great and gracious God, we thank you for your word, for your truth, for the blessings to see that You have been writing the story, and even in the details, Lord, you are a God of details. You care for your people, and you have been doing that throughout history and in families. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless our families now, and we pray that you would bless those who don't know Christ with his gospel light. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.